The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. <laughs> Wait a minute. On the Skype video here, it looks like you're an intern in a hospital. Is, is that because of this chest cold I've had over the last week? No, no, no. I'm, uh, I like to wear scrubs because scrubs are very comfortable uh, pieces of clothing. And this is... Uh, I've actually had this, this from St. Mike's Hospital, this one particular scrubs gown for about 17 years. Hey, wait a minute. How do you just walk out with a pair of scrubs from a major hospital? They had a sale in the lobby. <laughs> the gift shop. Please exit through the gift shop. <laughs> they were offering de- uh, discount scrubs to members of the staff. Wait a minute. Are these used or new? No, no, no. These, these were brand new. Okay. They were offering, they had a scrub sale, and I just happened to be in the hospital that day for something, and I thought, wow, this is really good for 12 bucks. I'll take one. And that's, it served me well, 17 years. Ah, I see you have the machine that goes, bing! (laughs) From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The petition to stop CBS from resurrecting Star Trek for television. We'll tell you what's wrong with Hollywood's plan and the knee-jerk response from the nerds. They called it Sex in a Box. We'll tell you what it took to get this game added to the Toy Hall of Fame. Why Adele isn't allowed to use her own Twitter account. And why the songstress may end up being the last big artist of the decade or maybe of all time. Plus, how you can win a beard trimmer that guides you using lasers. Throw me a frickin' bone here. And the real reason for the cassette revival? The Grey Bar Motel. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. If you hear something growl in the background, that is uh, the garburator. Which are illegal in Toronto. They are, but not in Oakville. So in Oak Vegas, you can actually get away with taking your green bin waste, shoving it through a bunch of knives, and just barfing it out into the sewer system. Our green bin has never been used because we throw everything down the sink. We grind it up and send it on, send it on its way. So you've got somebody repairing it? Is that why we're worried about hearing the noise? Because last you know, time... Oddly, no, 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 no. My, my wife was just cleaning out the fridge. <laughs> wow. What do you have in your fridge when you're actively worried about the garburator acting up? It's, uh, listen, I, she, she sometimes gets her frustrations out by grinding things up and sending them down into the sewer. I, I have no idea what's going down there, but uh, she seems to be much better afterwards. So. Well, now we know where to find your DNA if you go missing. Oh, yeah, I know. One piece at a time. It's like the wood chipper in Fargo. That's exactly how I'm going to go. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Dear CBS, cancel the new Star Trek series now. I am very worried about this new Star Trek series. You're not alone. A lot of people are because CBS 
is going to mess it up. Uh, see, now, this is the thing. First of all, I suppose we need to read Sam Cogley's petition to CBS from Change.org, which, as we know, Change.org was the online petition site set up to bring down rogue governments and television studios who want to relaunch a franchise that's been dormant for 20 years. He has the same concerns that I have, is that CBS is going to mess it up. <laughs> Quote, There is one thing that we all know with 100% certainty. And that is this. You are going to f*** it up. <laughs> yes. For this reason, we demand that you cancel the new series now, 14 months before we will ever see what it might have looked like. Uh, okay, so you know what I did? I went back and I watched the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. That's Encounter at Farpoint. From 1987. A terrible terrible episode. Well, see, this is the general consensus, but what I was looking at it was through the eyes of someone who, back in 1987, as I gathered with my friends around a big screen TV to watch it, I wanted a sense of what it would be like to do that all over again. So I was very impressed with some of the things they did, knowing that guys of your generation who watched the original one, who would like get high with your buddies when you were supposed to be at class and, you know, try to figure out which star the Enterprise was going to zoom out of. It opened with that voiceover and the beauty shots of the ship. By the way, I noticed every single episode, every single series, season, still had that problem with the Saturn rings. Did you ever notice that when the Saturn rings would slide past, the Starfield on the outside of the rings wasn't moving at the same speed as the Starfield on the inside? No, I never... Okay, I'll watch for that. It was a blooper that they had the entire series run. No one ever bothered to fix it. The Star Trek Next Generation runs weekdays at 4 o'clock on space. There you go. So I'm at 4 o'clock Eastern on space, so I'm going to watch it for that tomorrow. So... We sat down and we watched that reboot of what a one generation considered to be the best TV show of all time with that critical and hypercritical eye. And what we'll be looking for in this 2017 reboot is going to be a lot like what we saw back in 1987. For example, um, the uniforms were more streamlined. We saw them change things like the communicator pins replaced the communicators themselves instead of all the knobs and dials that Spock and Uhura would use, they had touch panels. We're, I'm fascinated to, to see what they do with this reboot that makes it that much more futuristic because the touch panels, that was insanely futuristic when I was 16. If you watch Next Generation, it still holds up reasonably well. After about season three, it does hold up really well. Now, my problem is, where are they going to set the new Star Trek? We've had Deep Space Nine, we've had Voyager, we've had Star Trek Enterprise. Um, the only one that I've really enjoyed of those, I guess, spinoffs has been um, Next Generation, followed by Voyager to a certain extent. Never got into Deep Space Nine, and I did not like Star Trek Enterprise at all. So where are they going to set this? At what point? Is it going to be the adventures of the Enterprise? Is it going to be something set someplace else? Is it going to be in the future, in the past? I don't know. We've, we've got precious little information to go on. And I just know that CBS, you know, Paramount did all the other ones. CBS is not going to be able to do this properly. Well, they said that every single time. And even when they went out on a limb and had Deep Space Nine, an entire show about a space station that didn't go anywhere, there was still some interesting stories to tell. But that wasn't CBS. That was Paramount.
The Enterprise, one that you didn't like, took place shortly after they discovered Warp Drive. And was it before Kirk? That was the one with Scott Bakula. Yes, that was before So we, we sort of have all of those little elements built in from the franchise already. So I can only imagine all you can do is go further into the future, not into the past. If you're going to set this aboard a starship, the only way that you're going to be able to do it is to set it ahead of next generation, 50 years, 75 years, whatever. Because if you start getting more granular, let's say you set it between the original series and next generation. There's about 200 years there. You could drop it in. 400. No, no, I'm sorry. It was 400 years from present day. Yeah, that's right. It's 100 and some odd years after the original five-year mission of the original series. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you could drop something in that 100-year period, but that would be kind of stupid. So could you set it beyond that another 200 years? If so, do you have the imagination to create a reality that would you know, be compelling enough? The um, petition to CBS by Sam Cogley basically comes full circle as you read through it that explains that we think you're going to f*** it up because that's what we always think. Because the only Star Trek that is worthy of our reverence is the original Star Trek, and that's because we grew up with that particular Star Trek, and you can't keep remaking it and impress us. So by the time you, you go through the logic at the beginning to you need to cancel it to the very end, it's quite obvious that he's not really saying we need Star Trek canceled. He's saying we need to cancel our opinions about what it's going to be, because the only thing we know for sure, and we have absolutely no evidence whatsoever, is that, quote, we're not going to let you f*** it up. <laughs> This is true. And the, the fact that uh, CBS wants to charge us six bucks, a, six bucks a month to see it. That seems to be the bigger crime, doesn't it? They said Star Trek was returning to TV, but in fact it is not. No, it is. See, this is very misleading. People who are expecting to sit down in front of their big screen TVs like we did in 1987, uh, it's not going to happen that way. You're going to have to watch it on a tablet or you're going to have to watch it through some app maybe that uh, we'll probably not get in Canada, certainly to begin with. So this is not going to be... I would be happier if this were a Netflix series. Ah, yes, that would be interesting. Because th think, think of all the adult situations you could find yourself in. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Please demonstrate how this is accomplished. Let's see if we can get lucky. We are dealing with ancient codes involving procreation. Beg like a human. I need you! <laughs> That is how the Klingon lures a mate. But what would I say? My love is a fever, longing still for that which longer nurseth the disease. Well, I'm sure you've said that to many ladies before. There was a young lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a... Well, Netflix has been doing a really good job. <laughs> you with... just completely blew that off. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I mean, we just wa we just binge-watched uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Ugh, I hated that show. No, it was a good show. Oh, she was one-dimensional. Uh, anyway, um, Netflix has, has shown an ability to do some pretty good stuff with some pretty good TV shows. And I... I wish this were a, a Netflix project rather than a CBS one. But you can see that this is simply a bait and switch. Come and try our new app for six bucks a month, and we will give you a new Star Trek. 
Not good enough. See, Maybe. if it was done by Netflix, then you'd have the captain looking into the camera and breaking the fourth wall. Uh, yeah. We have a new uh, Geeks and Beats writer at thegeeksandbeats.com, and Derek Dresser's very first, his inaugural post, Twister lands in the Toy Hall of Fame. And our editor was like, wait a minute. I, I don't, is this a geek? Is this a beat? I, I don't know really where this fits, but I got to tell you, I was fascinated by the entire article. I had no idea that, first of all, that there was a Toy Hall of Fame. But considering that Twister has been around for a gazillion years. Since 1965. And I remember watching those old black and white commercials. Right foot blue. Right foot blue. Left hand red. Left hand red. Left. Right. Yellow. Blue. Green. Yeah, Twister. You gotta play Twister in your stocking feet. Standing on this crazy we giggle about how Twister is, you know, supposed to be about getting naked, spinning the thing, and then ha ha ha. And next thing you know, it's a big, you know, group orgy. That was exactly their concern back in 1965. I'm looking at this picture, and that's Johnny Carson, isn't it? That is Johnny Carson and Jaja Gabor playing Twister on NBC in 1967. They ended up selling over three million games by the end of that year, specifically because Johnny Carson and sorry Eva Gabor, um, the two of them played the game. Apparently, Milton Bradley had trouble getting it into the store shelves because of fears that this was nothing more than an opportunity to have group sex. But now, you see Johnny Carson playing the game. Everybody wants one. Was this originally marketed as an adult game? Not at all. But there were concerns about it back when they came out in 1965 with the game. And uh, the player interaction at the height of the Playboy Club era in 1966 was where things really heated up. Dresser writes, he says, it seemed this type of player interaction led everyone to thoughts of that other game of life. Interesting. Sears threatened to pull the game from the store shelves for the Christmas Wish Book catalog. It was deemed inappropriate. Too sexy. Milton Bradley, which was the game's original distributor, was accused of selling sex in a box. Wow. So I, I just assumed that we giggled about it now, thinking, oh, those innocent days of the 60s. But no, back in the 60s, they were worried about it as well. Isn't that interesting? Okay, I, uh, I'm going to have to read through this entire article. I recommend that everybody else do as well, geeksandbeats.com, because, see, I love this sort of history where people bring new life to old stories. Good one. We've got new life to a new story. Adele's people won't let her tweet because, well, she likes the sauce. <laughs> and not only that, she's a bit of a foul woman. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over everything. They say the time's supposed to heal you, but I ain't done much healing. Hello. This is why I like Adele, is she is just an, a, a regular person who just happens to have a fantastic voice. And she does like to tipple. And when she tipples, she tends to tweet. And the stuff that she tweets is pretty foul. But that's, I, you know... Her people are, are overprotective. That is part of her appeal, her her working class roots, her 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 normalness. So come on. Let her let her do her thing. 
when uh, she was on a BBC special, one audience member said, rumor has it you're not allowed to access your own Twitter account. And she replied that it's true. I'm not a drinker anymore, but when Twitter first came out, I was drunk tweeting and nearly put my foot in it a few times. She has to go through two people and then it has to be signed off by someone. They are all her actual tweets. No one writes her own tweets, but there are three separate sets of eyes that it needs to pass through before she hits the send button. Well, and at the same time, you can understand, given the nature of the UK press, they would, they're watching her like second by second. If she does something stupid, they're going to just jump on her and kill her. So I can understand their, their, their concern. Well, there's a lot of money in it, I can imagine, particularly since her uh, track Hello annihilated the competition in its first week. It wasn't even close. Uh, it, uh, By the way, if you check the charts today, it's also, again, number one uh, everywhere across the board. People are buying the digital file. People are streaming the, uh, the song. In the United States, that song was streamed 61 million times in its first week. Nothing has come even close to 61 million streams in a week. In fact, I think the highest would have been just under 30, so she beat it by more than 100%. What's even more interesting to me is that people actually are willing to pay for it with 1.1 million downloads, which beat uh, Justin Bieber by a whopping 900,000 units. That was the highest selling digital file in the history of digital files. So things are looking up for her uh, album release on November the 16th. This is going to be a blockbuster, and it's probably going to be the last big album that we see because nobody on the planet has the kind of cachet that Adele has, the kind of mainstream appeal that she has. Well, hang on. We could rewind the podcast a year, and you would have said the exact same thing as we were talking about Taylor Swift. Mm. Yeah, I th- maybe. It's, it's, it's possible, but again, I just have this feeling that the Christmas of 2015 is going to be the CD's last hurrah. Why is that? Because things are changing so rapidly when it comes to streaming, and that fewer and fewer people are actually worried about buying a physical copy of a CD, and they don't necessarily want all the songs on an album. They just want the songs that they have heard about. So we've moved to a real a la carte situation, and uh, the, the concept, the retail event that is an album is, is coming to an end. And this may be the last big Christmas for that sort of stuff. You know that your track is popular when people start mocking it. Like the people doing versions of Hello. Oh, I know. It's all over the internet. It's all over my Facebook page. It's fantastic. And one of the things that you have to uh, admire Adele's people for doing is letting this take its course. Hello, it's me. I've been at the viaduct and then now Uber to your house. I brought kebabs for two. I stole a flip phone from a drug mule and I'm using it to call. Hello. Somebody else would have, you know, would have issued all kinds of copyright infringement takedowns and been all over YouTube and everybody else. Uh, saying that this is a this is a bad thing, but no, they have let it take on a life of its own, and as a result, the song just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And Adele has no problem with it; she thinks it's a lot of fun. Well, it just self perpetuating; it generates that interest in the original track. It does, and then you know, again, sixty one million streams in a week, and one point one million downloads in a week, and that's just in the U.S. Let people have fun with it. It's it's working. It's it's free advertising. 
It reminds me of Happy when that came out. People were encouraged to do their own versions. Yeah, but nothing like this. This is beyond huge. Aaron Lawrence. Gadget Ninja. Able to leap from Windows 8 to Windows 10 in a single bound. Can insert a USB stick in a single try. And consumes bandwidth like your mother-in-law at an all-you-can-eat buffet. If you have a problem and you can't find anyone at Best Buy to help you, maybe you need <laughs> the Gadget Ninja. Any similarity to Marvel, DC Comics, or the A-Team is purely coincidental. Please don't sue us. You brought with you three fabulous gadgets for us today. I have, I have. I've picked a wide variety of things to share with you this week. All right, so we've got the Password Eliminator, a gadget that helps you avoid losing your keys or the remote control. Uh, and then we're going to give something away. But let's start with the Password Eliminator. What is this? Absolutely. It's a tiny little key fob that's about the size of your thumb. It's kind of like the size of a thumb drive. And basically all you do is bring it within proximity of your computer, which will already have a little USB stick stuck in the side. And when you get close, it recognizes that you're there, inputs your password for you, and then you can get back to work. When you get up and walk away from your computer, it shuts the computer down so nobody else can access it. So if you've got one of those places you work that's really high security or you've got like a 32 character password with wingdings and numbers and capital letters and everything else, you don't need to do that anymore. See, that's kind of like my wife's car, which has a keyless entry uh, and keyless ignition. Exactly. You put it in your pocket. And the only way that you can actually start or turn off the car is to have the, the key fob in your pocket. This isn't just for people who need high security, though. When you walk away from the computer, that the thing locks itself back down. We, we had a problem at work where there was this one guy who thought it would be hilarious. If he walked past your desk and saw that you were away from your desk but still logged in and accessible, he would send email messages out under your name to the entire newsroom. Oh, fantastic. That's a bit of a security lapse, don't you think? Who hasn't done that, though? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm on air one day because Kevin O'Leary has left his computer in the BNN newsroom unlocked. He fires me off a message. This was back when uh, they came out with, uh, with the tablet from Microsoft. To give you a sense as to how long ago this was. It was about five years before the iPad came out. And he says, Michael, I'm, I'm downtown. I'm at the computer store. I'm looking at this tablet. Do I buy it? And I'm thinking, I don't want to advise Kevin O'Leary while I'm too busy already being on TV while my little <laughs> things. Back and forth we went till I finally went, no, don't buy it. And that's when I realized it was Andy in the newsroom the whole time. <laughs> oh, dear. So I need this gadget. I can get you one. I can get you one easily. All right. I would probably take one, too, simply because uh, I'm always walking away from my computer and I never know who's going to be sitting down at it. And you're probably looking at stuff. Me? That you want to lock down, right? Who is it? It's the plumber. The first line of my will is delete my browser history. Oh, you can get a medical alert bracelet with that written on it now. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. There's an alternative way around that, though, and that is the dead man switch. Have you ever heard of this type of software? I have not. Sort of. You know what a dead man switch is normally, right? Yeah. How would this work as software? Well, this is the thing. A traditional dead man switch works on a boat or a snowmobile, and it's got a cord to the key so that if you fall off or out of the boat, it cuts the engine. In a similar fashion, dead man switch software will ping you a message, and you have to reply to it. If you do not reply to it in time, it will erase your hard drive. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. This that, is a terrible idea. How is that for the idea? nuclear option? No, no, <laughs> oh, no, <God>. no. <laughs> oh, 
God. Alan would never get that browser history back again. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay, so the thing is, is that Alan's going to lose the little gatekeeper key fob. So you found another key fob for his key fob. I found another key fob for the key fob. This one is called the Pebble B, and it it's a similar size. It's kind of a, like a toonie size disc, and you just strap it on your keys. Uh, you can also um, use some double-sided tape, stick it to your remote control, to your cat, to your kid, hide it in somebody's <laughs> backpack, wallet. I'm sure the cat would love it. Oh, why not? Strap it around Kitty's little neck there on the collar, and uh, you'll never lose track of them. You can also set it so that... Um, if you do lose track of whatever you're tracking, uh, you can send an audible alert. So if you're hunting around for your glasses or your wallet, you can't find it. You just zap this little gadget and it'll ping. So what does it use? Bluetooth or something? Yes, exactly. So that's like a 30 foot limit, right? Yeah. You've got to be within some proximity of it. So, I mean, if you've left it at work, it's not going to tell you that. But what it will do is because it recognizes the last places you've been, it'll tell you the last place you were in proximity to Ah, it. And and so does it give you like a a hot, cold kind of thing when you're hunting around for something? Exactly. Oh, there's another product that I've heard advertised called Tile. You strap it onto your your keys or your remote or, or whatever you like. And when you can't find anything, you hit an app on your phone and it makes a noise and you track it down that way. Yeah, it's almost exactly the same concept. I'd say these two devices are probably in competition with each other. They do exactly the same thing. And I've tried them both and they both work great. I mean, if you're the type of forgetful person who's always misplacing stuff, grab a couple of these because they're not super expensive. Can you imagine walking around the apartment with the with the phone going, <laughs> here, kitty, 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 hot, hot, hotter, 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 beep, Warm, beep, beep, beep. Ping. No, this would this would work great for the remote because uh, our remote is always falling down the back of the couch. Yeah, but how far away could it possibly be from you that you're going to need it for a remote freaking control? <laughs> how far is that thing going to make it? Unless you're like one particular person in my household who has a tendency to carry the damn thing around with them. That's my problem. I was just going to say that. Yes. Where did yes. you put the remote, dear? I don't know. I left it there. No, it's not there. Well, I did. Yeah. 20 minutes later, you open the refrigerator and there it is on the shelf. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have that problem. Or she takes it upstairs or it's, you know, whatever. You, st- you leave it by the other TV, which is then very confusing for people who come to your house. Correct. All right. So you have something that we're going to be giving away on the big show. It is the Philips Beard Trimmer 9000. And that is the actual name. Seriously, that's the name? That is the actual, actual, actual name. And it's <laughs> it's like the ninja of razors. It's all shiny and silver and very sleek, and it's got this razor, you know, regular razor head, but it's got a laser. It looks like you could bludgeon somebody with this. It kind of looks like you're <laughs> scraping your face with a lightsaber. For those for those who aren't in the uh, theater with us, I'm actually showing the guys this over uh, over the Skype network and blinding Whoa. them, I think, with the, with the laser. <laughs> Don't look directly into the light. Do not look directly into the razor. But it's basically got a guide. So when you sort of have it on your skin and you're trying to get a clean edge around your chin or your lip or wherever, you know, wherever as a man you're needing to shave that stuff, it'll give you a guide. (laughs) They're laughing because I'm pretending to shave. Do you like this clean line, gentlemen? It looks fantastic, doesn't it? Yes, that's what we're laughing about. That's not why I'm laughing. Go with a little little handlebar mustache from November, I think. But basically you can you can guide where you're trimming your beard. It works better for people that actually have a beard as opposed to gentlemen like yourselves who are of the clean shaven persuasion. But you get the idea. You tried this on your man, though. 
I did. My man doesn't have much facial hair either. So he was like, well, as a razor, it, you know, it works great. It's got some different heads for trimming different things. That's fantastic. But the laser felt a bit like overkill to him. So I lent it to my neighbor, who's about 65. He's got a full beard. And he's like, whoa, lasers. Ah. And same thing. He's like, it's a great razor. Yeah, the laser is kind of neat, but it probably wouldn't be something I'd use every day. I'm thinking the laser is brilliant, particularly if you want to get that proper edge. If you're one of these guys who's got the, the chin strap, perhaps. The pencil beard, yes. Or, or maybe down around the neckline, you want to make sure that's perfectly smooth. So we're going to give one of these away. So even if you don't have a beard yourself, maybe this makes a great <laughs> Christmas gift. I think it would. And I'd love to have feedback from whoever gets it. At the very least, you could use it as a laser level and make sure that your pictures are hanging properly. <laughs> so the only way you can win the Philips Beard Trimmer 9000 is by being a member of the world's worst intern program. What makes it the world's worst is you work for us. You pay us to work on the show. You don't actually do any work, just like a real Hollywood internship. And we throw uh, for every dollar you support the show with per episode, we will throw in a raffle ticket under your name. We'll talk more about that with the Geeks and Beats update coming up. Uh, we appreciate, by the way, the demonstration on your own beard there, Aaron. Yes. That was more for your benefit than the listeners, but I'm glad it worked out. Geeks and Beats, getting rid of neck beards, one person at a time. <laughs> Since 2015. <laughs> for more gadget loveliness, you want to go to uh, Aaron Lawrence's webpage. It's uh, .ninja. I I'm still blown away .ninja exists as a website. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. If you want to win that Philips Beard Trimmer 9000 with the laser control, and as you point out, basically a level, there is only one way you can do it. What you have to do is go to our website and donate Whatever you think we are worth, uh oh, we use the Patreon system. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that even though you may be hearing this on the radio with lots of commercials, we derive absolutely no income from those commercials. We are basically begging our listeners to give us some kind of money, whether that be $1 per show or $2 per show with a $1 maximum lifetime donation. Hopefully more than $1, but that's a very important point is yes. that you can set a maximum limit so that we don't ding your credit card infinitum. It's not like the gym membership model where you forget about it and we keep uh, charging you. Right. We are not about negative billing whatsoever. True. We're more than happy. If you want to set a $0 lifetime limit, we'll b ding you for a bucker or what have you uh, every single time. But uh, so all you need, all you need to do is go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link. If you're not a fan of Patreon, if you don't want to set up an account and we understand that because maybe you already have a paypal account you could do it that way as well and there's a link right there we're taking paypal now? we are oh geeks and beats updates uh, on a story we were looking at earlier you had reported on dyson spheres and the possibility that we found them an alien megastructure star yes uh unfortunately i'm still rather upset about this there was this one particular star system kic 846 2852, 1400 light years away, and it exhibited some very odd and irregular dimming and brightening characteristics. And one of the things that somebody proposed was this could have been an indication of an array of 
energy collectors organized much like the so-called Dyson sphere. There would be there there are certain levels of civilization, it is supposed, that have the ability to harness the energy of a star in order to keep their civilization moving forward. Basically and by wrapping the star or parts of it with the collectors of all of those photons. Right. And the thinking was that because the brightening and dimming of this star KIC 8462852. We should call that number, by the way. I know. It sounds like uh, Jenny's phone number. Yeah, it does. Because it was so irregular, some people suggested that it might be a Dyson sphere or part of a Dyson sphere. Unfortunately, it's it's... It doesn't seem to be the case. No. Over the last two weeks, via the Allen Telescope Array of 42 antennas, uh, the SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Life, spent the last two weeks observing that specific spot, and the array was looking for signals between the frequencies of 1 and 10 gigahertz, which is basically consistent with the emissions that would come from an alien race that is capable of harnessing the power of a star, and they found nothing. They, they even looked for the what would traditionally be considered a hailing signal, uh, and no, nothing. Geschwinkto. Yeah, I'm uh, currently listening to on audiobooks uh, a series, a trilogy of of, of, um, of books by a Chinese writer named Xishan Liu. Uh, one, the first one is called the Three Body Problem. The second one is called the Dark Forest. Basically, uh, what what it is is they it's it, a SETI organization sent out a signal to a planet in the um, Alpha Centauri system. And they sent a message back saying, oh, you're there. Our civilization is running out of uh, running out of energy. We'll be right there to invade in 450 years. Well, wasn't that the basic fear that Stephen Hawking expressed, that if there was an alien race sufficiently advanced to be able to communicate with us, chances are they would do to us what we have done to the lesser beings of this planet? We would be bugs. And they would come here and they would take uh, all our resources and they wouldn't care. Wipe out the planet for a hyperspace bypass. You don't come all those light years to say hello. You come in to, to rape and village. Right. Because after all, there's the commercialism component to it. There's got to be money to be made. There's got to be money to be made, or at least there's a civilization that needs saving. And if they can come all this way to save the civilization, you can bet they're not going to say, um, can we just kind of you know, sleep on your couch for a couple of centuries? The Lord of the Rings was voted the best movie soundtrack ever? Yeah, this is a bit of a, of a red herring. Um, this was voted by the listeners of uh, Classic FM in the UK. So these are people who like, you know, classical arrangements of stuff. So it's, it's, I, I let's just move on. <laughs> you don't even want to talk about it. We put it on the list and you didn't want to talk no, about I, it. No, I didn't put it on the list. Did I? I? You put it, you did, yes, you did. I didn't put this in the lineup. You did. No, no, no. no, 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 no. no maybe, oh, wait a second. My, my favorite part is the email that you sent me about wanting to talk about this. The line reads, this is the best movie soundtrack? Yeah, I guess I did send that. Okay. Lord of the Rings voted the best soundtrack of all time by people listening to a classical music station. And if you look at the other people, the other movies that were up for for uh, contention, John Williams and Star Wars, John Barry's Out of Africa, 
uh, Gladiator, Schindler's List. These are all big orchestral, we need the big room at Abbey Road to record it kind of productions. So what you're saying is that Grease's soundtrack didn't make it. Well, no, they consider these movie soundtracks to be the equivalent of modern classical music. What do you consider to be the best soundtrack of all time? Uh, Original music? I would hope so. Well, the first one and the only, the very first one I ever bought was the soundtrack to uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. So then what about rock and roll-esque kind of soundtrack? You have to go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. uh, Okay. I'm going to go back to my default because I'm from Winnipeg. Phantom of the Paradise. My favorite soundtrack that is not a soundtrack to a movie, but should be, Amon Batia's Interstellar Suite. that soundtrack largely before we really truly had digital music creation. He probably did it all on an Amiga 500. I'm going to tell you a story about Amin Batia. You know the theme for my ongoing history of new music? Yes. He created that. Really? Yes, he did. Well, what, one of my favorite things is the fact that I actually have the unadulterated sound file of that, that particular little ditty. Do you really? Where did you get it from? I don't have it. You yes, I yeah. You sent it to me years ago for a little production that we were putting together, and so I still have it. Clearly, because I just played it. Okay. But setting that aside, uh, Amon Batia's Interstellar Suite is basically a film in your head. Yeah, he is. Um... He had a studio on Adelaide, I think, in Toronto, and uh, he came up with some really interesting stuff. He worked at one point with the guys from Toto as well. Really? Down in Africa? Yeah, he, uh, he's a very good keyboardist and uh, synthesizer dude. My first copy of that soundtrack came on compact disc back when we used to call it crystal clear compact disc. Mm. And you had to worry about whether your discs were AAD, ADD, or hopefully DDD. Yes. For your analog, rec- what is it? Analog recording, analog editing, analog mastering. Mastering, yeah. So you wanted to have as many Ds in there as possible. You wanted you wanted three Ds, otherwise you were introducing hiss and all sorts of other artifacts. Yeah, we've moved beyond that. Well, f- I'm telling you how far back this particular CD goes. This would be back in the 80s, right? Not as far back as cassettes. So here's, let me just segue quickly into this. We talked about cassettes last week, I think, with uh, prison tapes. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about it. We were going to talk about oh, it. Oh, we didn't talk about prison tapes. No. You were going to do some research on this. You found out the real reason for the cassette revival has nothing to do with hipsters who like to type things out at the Starbucks on a manual typewriter and listen to audio cassettes. It has everything to do with prison. Right. The prison population of the United States is somewhere around 2.2 million. And you can't 
service these people with music on compact disc because you can easily turn one of those things into a shiv. You can't use an MP3 player. Well, you can, but if you had, don't have in, internet access, you're, they're, they're rather useless. And vinyl, you're not going to have a, a turntable in, in, a, in a prison because, again, a vinyl record could be turned into a weapon. So that only leaves the cassette. Now, I was talking to somebody who uh, was um, works for a major record label, and some of these major record labels actually have prison releases, which come out on cassette. And I also found out that a lot of these cassettes have to come from certain manufacturers. The cassettes have to be clear. So you can't hide anything in them. Right. And they can't have any screws, so you can't weaponize them. <laughs> right. So there are... Um, and there were a number of, of organizations like Music for Inmates and a few others that specialize in nothing but prison releases. And, you know, these prison tapes are a big, big business. I wonder what the top albums are for prison releases. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to go to my major label guy and see what is actually on the release schedule. And they, the catalog numbers have a P in front of them designating prison and it's mostly u.s releases but i'm sure you can give us an idea of exactly what would be released in canada all right what's your best bet is the the top cassette single or the single i have no idea i would imagine it's going to be something um, straight out of compton i I think it would be something hip-hop there's a joke in here somewhere and i'm desperate to set it up so you can knock it home Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.